0: Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
1: What's up? Happy Wednesday. I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Appreciate you tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Got a little bit of change of pace on today's show. We are going to talk some hoops with former Andy Kennedy staffer, Bracken Ray, a longtime friend of mine. He will be the Weldon of basketball, or maybe Bracken is the, uh, uh, or Weldon is the Bracken of football, whatever. We'll let them compete for that title. But anyway, uh, I don't know. I figured there was plenty of time to kind of break down this Ole Miss Alabama game and the anticipation around it and what is happening around Ole Miss and the sport over the next week and a half. So I figured this was a good time to bring Bracken on, uh, introduce him, kind of get a feel for what you'll be getting from a basketball coverage standpoint on this podcast and preview the Ole Miss hoops roster because it's it's seven weeks away. It'll be here Before we know it. So we talked hoops for about 45 minutes here, and then we will get back probably to more of a football centric show on Friday with picks. I hopefully have some sort of football related guest on uh, as Ole Miss is off this week. So anyway, uh, good conversation. I hope you'll learn a lot about the roster expectations under Kermit Davis year four and a, a couple of newcomers that we think will definitely make an impact. One of them will have to make an impact. So good conversation. Before we get to bracket, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox matrix interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the industry. Football season in full effect. I just watched seven hours of commercial-free football. I'm sure many of you did, too. Got uh, tons of college action this weekend. Skybox free plays, I believe. they Guys at Skybox are nice enough to give... Uh, The listeners out there, some free plays from the Friday show. I believe the college ones went two and one, and the NFL ones went one and one. Uh, NFL week one, Skybox was seven and oh. They were up six units this weekend on NASCAR. You need to check these guys out. It's the only way to consistently profit. I'm sure there's plenty of you, maybe listen to this on a Sunday night, probably on Monday, sitting there waiting on the text from the man asking to square up. That's not a great feeling. You want to be texting the man wondering where your extra cash is at. Skybox is the only way to do that consistently. They're professionals. I promise you, your own knowledge is not going to lead you consistently to profit because casinos, books were not built on losses contrary to popular belief. They are still open because they make money and you need the professionals to help you. Check them out. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range, whether that's weekly, monthly. Give them a day pass. you want to try them out for college football Saturday at the very least. Uh, go through the $10 day pass. It's eight bucks. If you use the promo code RIPPY for 20% off all purchases, uh, go buy some merch. I was wearing the skybox hats, wearing uh, playing golf this weekend. Awesome stuff there. They've got articles to make you a smarter, better as well. Just check them out. Skybox Happy to have them on board. Uh, so I was talking to the guys at skybox the other day. I uh, saw some chatter on the, on the uh, message board about one skybox working and making money, which is great. Continue to use the promo code. I appreciate it. But, uh, The who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. I don't remember why or how I started saying that, but uh, that's the marketing they don't teach you in school because it's clearly work. So I told the guys at Skybox maybe print up some shirts, uh, who is Skybox, and then just have glad you asked on the back. So uh, sometimes things just pop in my head. I don't really understand it, but whatever, it plays. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Promo code RIPPY gets you 20% off. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg needs no introduction. He's at a racetrack as I currently read this ad, hanging out. Look like he's having a couple of drinks with Marlins, man. I don't really know what Greg does. He's a real wild card. He, you know, dispatched the last pod from the bar. I say, I don't know what he does. Greg's always keeping me guessing in the best way possible, but he's also the best meat guy in Mississippi. LB is absolutely the best place in Mississippi in the world to get meat for that matter. Uh, Oxford's so lucky to have it. Lane train special, Keith Carter special, all kinds of awesome seafood, sausages, Greg's always got something awesome going on. If you're into grilling, don't waste your time at Kroger, Walmart or any other place. Those people don't care. They're just there to punch in, punch out and get the job done. Greg actually wants you to have the best experience possible grilling. You need to check them out. Check out the stuffed mushrooms. Those were awesome. Got some, uh, filet burgers sent to me over the weekend as well in a picture need to keep that trend up i had a streak there where people were sending me what they had on the grill on social media feel free to shoot him a pic greg loves that and is glad you are enjoying your grilling experience check him out lb's university avenue across from kroger all right here is bracken ray all right, we now welcome on recurring guest of the various iterations of this podcast, going to be the Weldon Rodenberg of basketball, or maybe Weldon Rodenberg is the Bracken Ray of football. We'll we'll leave that up for debate later on. Former Andy Kennedy staffer, Bracken Ray, Nashville resident, author of the probably the most famous assist in the history of the sport. I don't think I left anything out there. What's up, dude?
0: Man, not a whole lot. What about you?
1: Nothing, just – um, hanging out in the bye week, you know, it's been kind of crazy. Like when I was still working in media full time and like, I kind of welcomed the bye week, particularly during the Matt Luke area, just because a lot of football season became a drag. And like, I guess I'm still halfway in it, doing a podcast, doing some writing, but I I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is I didn't really want the bye week to arrive. I wish Ole Miss kind of had a game this week. Like I wish there was something to talk about. I wish the Alabama game was this week. So weirdly I'm kind of craving uh, more stuff to do if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, you know, definitely looking at our schedule, and I saw um, Kiffin, you know, tweeting about it and stuff, it feels like it would be a lot better for this group to have had this like mid-October, having this uh, bye week like mid-October, but um, yeah, I mean, we're only a couple weeks into it so far, so it's kind of weird having it this early.
1: I wrote about this in the newsletter on Monday because Kiffin Kiffin had a great line in the, his press conference after the two-lane game where he was talking about how he doesn't know yet who they play after the bye week, but whoever it is, they'll be ready. Uh, he just slipped that in there without that many people noticing. And then the other thing he talked about was like, like you said, obviously they don't really want the bye week to happen now. But if you think about it from the lens of one, you get two weeks to prepare for a game that clearly he thinks about more than others. Two – at least whatever minor ailments you have, Jake Springer, whatever they got going on. I don't know if Dean Leonard's hurt. I think he just made, kind of worked his way out of the rotation a little bit. Clear that up, and you're facing Alabama at full strength because you do get the benefit of catching Alabama, an inexperienced, I guess was the way you could call Alabama looking human last week, uh, team early in the year, and you get them when the defense is at full strength because if this team was down three or four starters and you called them late October, early November, I think that would drastically affect the way this game is perceived.
0: Yeah, no doubt. But, you know, the thing to look at is playing Southern Miss like they are this week, uh, really much different than, you know, a bye week on our end. So, but you're right, you know, Kiffin, I mean, this is, I heard you say it earlier, like he's thinking about this every single day. So having the bye week helps getting to look at it more and getting to see what they put on uh, film. But also, you know, he's been thinking about this nonstop and still to some extent probably knows that defense fairly well.
1: Yeah, I'm. A, I'm looking forward to it. I think they got a shot. I, I think they have more than a puncher's chance at winning that game. So, you know, and then it'll cre- create another week of hype and anticipation. So, I'm. A, I'm certainly looking forward to it. So, we're gonna hop on. Figure it'd be a good time to uh, to do a little September hoops check in. I'm sure they'll be you know getting into their main preseason stuff here in the next couple of weeks or so. I don't know the exact schedule on that, but we'll. Check in pretty at least once a week throughout the basketball season once it gets into the full swing of things and kind of recap the week that was for Ole Miss when, you know, you get the classic Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday, whatever it is, Saturday games and really kind of cover this team from an audio perspective throughout the course of the year, which I'm really excited about because we did it in spurts last year, but you had the weird COVID year and then I stopped doing the pod for uh, the 247 site and so it just kind of got mixed up, and the season was kind of a drag. But I'm looking forward to talking hoops on a more regular basis this year. I appreciate you uh, you agreeing to come on and uh, be a regular contributor on this podcast. I don't really know where to start. I guess we'll start with the schedule. What's the like? When are they getting into like all of the preseason stuff? Because I was honestly just kind of too lazy to look it up earlier.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it's crazy enough seven seven weeks away from college basketball in general starting. Um, so it's kind of, you know, closer than, than we even think, but really what's going to happen is right now, um, what the group is probably doing is it's somewhat of an extended kind of summer. Um, you're doing a lot of strength and conditioning still, and, um, still doing a lot of skill development stuff, maybe putting in a little bit in there schematically. And then I believe this time next week, they really get, uh, started with official practice, and so your day-to-day looks a little bit different. You're really trying to get your sets in. Um, a lot of teams like to end their practices with some five-on-five stuff where it's a little bit more scripted as well. But, you know, for, for the team this year, um, I know we'll talk about it a lot this year, the SEC schedule's a gauntlet, um, or just the SEC in general is a gauntlet. But preseason, you know, you've got uh, Marquette, Uh, potentially West Virginia and the little Thanksgiving tournament. There's a little hoop fest in in, uh, Atlanta against Western Kentucky. And then uh, you've got Memphis and Dayton in there as well. And Memphis obviously uh, picked up two huge commits here um, a couple, uh, a while back. And so um, pretty decent non-conference schedule. I think the program the past probably half decade or so has done a really good job of emphasizing with the rest of the league, trying to, uh, schedule a little bit harder um, regarding non-conference
1: it's interesting what is this so I, that was I, we should have started with your bio I figure I just assumed most like I guess knew it as well as I did but how many years did you work for AK
0: uh, four years four seasons okay, so that's,
1: that's what I thought so i worked for AK under four years and so what is this time of year like like whether it's your vantage point or the staff's vantage point like When you mentioned kind of an extended summer thing, what is the staff trying to do at this time of year? Like, is it – I imagine to some degree you have to know what you have in the cupboard in terms of your personnel. Obviously, there's some cohesion stuff, as you mentioned, trying to get your sets in and get guys used to playing with each other. But basketball is a little different in the sense that it's hard to do that in practice. I guess that's really the case in a lot of sports. But I think it's even more so than football where you need to go play against someone else in another uniform Um, That doesn't really know what you're doing and get in some sort of pseudo game action. So what at this point in the year in this extended summer, what is the coaching staff trying to do? What is the main goal of this time period?
0: Yeah, right now, I mean, like I said, they're about to get into this transition where they're into official uh, practice mode, and there's all sorts of NCAA, you know, limits for how long you can lift, how long you can be on the floor, who can be on the floor, etc. And I don't even keep up with it anymore, because it seems like it changes from year to year. But right now, it's really um, finishing up kind of the extensive uh, strength and conditioning, make, making sure guys are in uh, shape. Obviously, about a month ago, you're trying to not only continue the strength of conditioning but also get some of these newcomers adjusted to the day to day of going to class and all of that as well um so right now, they're kind of getting towards the end of that. Once you pick it up, you get into your little practice period of whatever it is five, six, seven weeks before the season starts, and really there. It, what, what you're looking at is you kind of have a little bit more of a two deep once October comes around. Um, and there are one-offs for some spots that you can kind of interchange. But your guys, your walk-ons, your guys at the end of the bench that, you know, you were including in all um, sets and stuff like that, you know, maybe this is a little bit more uh, focused on your two deep. You still want, obviously, everybody to know the plays and all that. But you're focused a little bit more on your group. Once October comes around uh, to hit early to mid November hard, once game game day rolls around,
1: you mentioned the the rules changing, and it really is harder to keep like it's inc- it's impossible to keep up with of like what's like legal, what you can and can't do. I I know there are rules in place for football, but it doesn't feel like it's as arbitrary sometimes with hoops. I don't necessarily know why that is. You have the weird like midnight madness thing where you you know Kentucky does the whole like a lot of the bigger blue blood programs do does the whole big show. I know Ole miss to some degree has like the square gym, but point being you have these arbitrary rules on when you can and can't practice. What's the deal with the secret scrimmages? Like they would go scrimmage someone, but you weren't allowed to talk about it. What is the legislation behind that? And uh, honestly, the question I had was, how do those come about? Is it just friends of coaches?
0: Yeah, a lot of it at times it's networking. Um, one thing that I think has been cool the past couple years to see is you're starting to see high major teams. Um, play high major teams in secret scrimmages which I think is really unique Um, from an NCAA standpoint there's not any like you know super crazy rules but I think there's a gentleman's agreement between the staffs whether to let stats out or not Um, a lot of these secret scrimmages are not just hey 20 minutes two halves let's go roll ball out and play a lot of them you'll have You know, three or four different segments, and maybe one of them your team's only in zone the whole time, one's in man the whole time, and then maybe there's a ten to fifteen minute segment of just uh, special situations, being like in line, out of bounds play, side out of bounds play. So everybody does it a little bit differently. Um, The secret piece to it, you know, normally you'll hear once it happens, you know, who they're playing a couple weeks beforehand, but the secret piece of it is not trying to let the stats out and stuff like that because. Sometimes actually most of the time it doesn't tell uh, the full story behind what really is going on between the two teams.
1: That makes sense. Let's rewind to a season ago before we kind of transition it to what Kermit and the staff have shaped this roster to be at this current moment this year. I was looking back earlier today, prepping for this podcast, just looking back through some of the numbers last year and I know we, we texted back and forth almost every game. It got to that point, like towards the end of the SEC or towards the middle of the SEC season, where they had like a really bad start and then they had like a late January stretch. They pretty well and then they struggled again and then they finished pretty strong. It was a very up and down roller coaster year. You forget this team finished 10 and eight in the conference, which like I looked at that, like I knew it had happened, but at the same time, I was like, You know, it felt like a hell of a lot more of a drag. They played very well defensively. I think in terms of points per game, they actually led the conference at like 65 and a half or something like that in terms of points allowed. They really struggled scoring the basketball, but they're pretty good rebounding it. If someone were just to ask, like, what's your general two-minute synopsis of how last year went? You know, weird year with the COVID thing. You canceled some early non-conference games. How would you describe how last year
0: went? Yeah, no doubt. Um, I mean, like you said, you went into the SEC tournament with a path to getting to the NCAA tournament. And, you know, that's not always a terrible thing. That game against LSU, you win that one and uh, you're probably in conference play was kind of a roller coaster ride the two losses to Georgia were a bit head scratching but finished off you know on a really strong note I think for me when you look at this team it kind of all comes down offensively right and we knew going into the year that uh, perimeter shooting was going to be an issue and I think it it could be again this year but you know one thing um, that you and I talked about a lot last year is hey this team really has the ability to play inside out through Romello White. Um, you know, he was, he, he was a man down there. He was a beast down there. And one thing that we saw was they went early to Romello White, and he had some success. People started to scout him a little bit better. You saw teams uh, start to double him and dig on him. And, you know, that's not always a bad thing because you're making two guard one, and it makes somebody else open. Um, the issue is, it seems like as the as the game advanced, each game they played, they got away from giving him the ball some, um, because he really was a force down there. Uh, the second piece is they ran um, a continuation offense, kind of a dribble drive, uh, dribble handoff offense, and had a lot of success back in the day with Brian and TD. But one thing that you saw really outside of Schuler is these guards, these wings really had trouble getting downhill, beating their guy off the dribble. They played horizontal too much rather than getting downhill. Um, and, and one thing that we, we always talked about and we always had somebody on staff keep track of it is uh, what we called paint touches. And it was a little different than, hey, just throwing the ball to the post. That's a paint touch. It was more of anytime somebody has the ball in their hands and gets one foot in the paint. How many times did we do that in a game? And there is a direct correlation, a direct parallel between the games that you had high paint touches and when you won. This group last year struggled beating guys off the dribble and creating their own shot um, as well. So I think really and truly when you look at it last year, hey, this team was really good defensively. At times it rebounded pretty well too – um, but the two things is, I think I thought they got away from playing inside out too much. And from a personnel standpoint, um, really outside of Schuler, their one through threes had a hard time beating guys off the dribble, um, as well as being able to perimeter shoot. If you can do one of the two, it kind of cancels out, but not being able to do both made it very stagnant from an offensive standpoint.
1: Yeah, you nailed it there. There's a couple of things I'd like to hit on off of that because, one, they were, in conference play, the worst three-point shooting team in the conference. Whether you want to go off percentage, they didn't make very many. They didn't take a ton either. And like you mentioned, you got to be able to do one of the two. They stopped beating people off the dribble, and they weren't very good three-point shooting team. And that's a rough combination. And then you lose Romello White, which, like – Look, he was obviously always probably going to be a one-year guy, and he made a really nice impact. He was a really fun player to watch uh, or enjoyable player to watch. He was very skilled. I think he actually – I was looking through, like, the SEC – the last, like, SEC stat packet I got via email last year, and I think he finished the regular season as technically the most efficient – not yep. shooter, but field goal maker for Percentage, the lack of, yeah. paraphrase in the conference. Like, he didn't take a ton of shots. Obviously, he didn't take a ton of outside shots, but he made 66% of the field goals he took. And unless you're a guy that takes two shots a game, there's, there's something to that. And for him, that just – like, I always remember writing last year, particularly towards the end of the year when I started the newsletter, it was like, it sucks you didn't get to have fans – for a lot of it, because I feel like that's a guy that would have endeared himself to the fan base a lot more had you had a normal year, because he was a really enjoyable player to watch that played his ass off at times where it looked really bleak for the team as well, to where if he had kind of folded in, it's like, I don't really know what this team would have been.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, um, you know, from his standpoint, I have no idea I'm not in the locker room if he was a, a the vocal leader or not, but almost just his actions would kind yes, of bring the energy example, up. By. Total Lead yes by by example. Degree. Yeah. Yeah. Lead by example, God, not only for that team, but like you say as well, if you're in the pavilion, 9,500 rocking, he could get that place loud as shit just off of the way that he played. He played so hard at times. He had a little bit of that Sebastian Saiz. If you give it to him within yeah. four or five feet, you feel like it's a bucket. Right. And he was six, six, eight, six, nine. It wasn't like he was taller than everybody that defended him. Um, but you know he he was a really good player and hats off to Levi Watkins from getting him from Arizona State because that was a that was a heck of a gift from him
1: and the him leaving I remember we've probably talked about this before but him leaving Arizona State I don't know how actual like privy you were to the you know, minutia of that situation. But I just remember on the surface when they got him, you look at the stats and you kind of looked at how uh, Arizona state played last year and they wanted to play, I imagine through Remy Martin more. And it seemed like more of a contrast in playing style and personality, but just from a sheer statistical standpoint, if you didn't know anything else about the situation, it was like, wait, why the hell did this guy leave?
0: Well, and the piece on that too, like is, I think you're right. And there obviously can be more to it than just that. Um, But they, with Romello, would have been preseason ranked, I mean, way up there. For sure. And so it, w- it was very interesting to see him leave. Um, obviously, you know, Levi was the guy that recruited him um, to-, to Arizona State as well. So sometimes there's, there's loyalty to that. Um, but, yeah, he-, he left a really good team that ended up probably not finishing as well. As some people thought they would.
1: Kind of wrapping up, looking at last year in a nutshell – it is weird. Well, we'll probably hit it back again because I want to get to some Kermit David stuff and some expectation stuff as well. But just when you talk about the, just from a sheer, you go up and down the roster standpoint, where this team quote unquote failed. I know that's a little bit of a harsh word sometimes, but it is kind of true, was the secondary scoring behind Devontae Shuler. He wasn't as consistent, I don't think, in terms of just the, you know, get me six, 14 a game or 13 a game or whatever it is, I think, is the staff liked him to be. Look, he had some – I know he battled injuries. I don't actually even remember off the top of my head how healthy he was last year. But point being, the guy, the other two guys around him, and I mean namely Jarkel Joyner. I know Matthew Morell is a true freshman. And then you could probably throw Austin Crowley into that mix too because he didn't have a great year last year. The, right. the other perimeter scorer, they just didn't have. And I think that's going to be huge this year in the sense that – they're going to need Matthew Murrell and jo- or Jarkel Joyner and preferably both to take quite a leap in terms of what's in their toolback from a scoring standpoint. And I guess we'll start with Joyner because yeah. the last four or five games of the year, it seemed like he figured it out. His last four games of the year, he gets 15 on 6 of 13 shooting in a win over Vanderbilt, 18 and a win in the SEC tournament against South Carolina, and then he scores 26 – not terribly efficient, but, man, he was really good, particularly from three-point range in that game, if I remember correctly, against LSU. It wasn't enough, but it sure wasn't his fault. And then even in that lethargic loss in, uh, in Denton, Texas, <laughs> against La Tech that I was actually one of tens of people in attendance for, um, had 22 that night. Do you – I guess a simplistic way to ask this, do you think that was – he kind of figured it out towards the end of last year? I mean, it seemed like once the calendar turned March, he was pretty good – you saw it in very brief spurts throughout the year. I think he had a stretch where he had like 22 against Georgia, like 15 against State, and 20 against AM, and then tapered off a little. Do you think something clicked for him towards the end of last year from a scoring standpoint?
0: I mean, I do for sure. And, you know, one thing you say the last, you know, three or four games, I thought it was, you know, it felt like closer to eight to 10. You know, um, he. I think he's going to be. He'll probably lead the team in scoring this year, if I had to imagine. And one thing I think for him, obviously, he is in love with the mid range, right? He is in love with it. And every analytic person out there probably is like, "Hey, why is he shooting so many mid range?" Uh, towards the end of the year, he's making a lot. But one thing I think for him that's really, really interesting is when we talked about earlier, not being able to beat guys off the dribble in the continuation offense. Jar a lot of times, was able to beat people off the dribble and settled into his step back mid-range. If he had just kept playing and getting downhill, he could have either finished around the rim or created for somebody else. I think he needs to increase that this year. And then also last year, not a great three-point shooter, but I think he needs to shoot the ball more from the perimeter this year as well to keep people honest. Um, So people will defend him a little bit differently. It'll open up different opportunities for him from a scoring piece uh, to get him to the next level. I didn't realize he averaged, you know, double digits last year until I kind of looked back on it. A lot of that was the back half of the year. Um, But he's a guy that, you know, he has the ability to do it. He did it um, his freshman year all the way across the country. You know, he's got the ability to do it, but I think really for him, He needs to be able to play downhill a little bit more. And when he's got somebody beat off of his hip, go and finish or create for somebody else. And then keep people honest with his three-point shot as well. That'll really get him to the next level.
1: I thought you made a great point, particularly about the three-point shooting aspect of it, because the only time he took double-digit threes in a game, and not that that's some sort of benchmark, because unless you've got got a guy that's really on a heater, you probably don't want to do jacking up 10, 12 threes in a college game. But even so, I'm just going through his game log here. There was one, two, three, four times outside of the LSU games, if you don't count that, or regular season. I think he took five or we'll go six, six or more threes four times in the entire season. And he wasn't a great three-point shooter. I don't have his percentages pulled up, but he was certainly capable. And so I don't – to your point, talking about needing to shoot it from the perimeter more and being love in love with the mid-range game, it's almost like even if you're not making a lot of them, to take an average of four or five a game, you know, if you make one or two of them, at least you're a threat that they have to respect it. Is that kind of what you're getting at in terms of just taking it a little more? Because he went long stretches mm-hmm. where he had like five, six-game stretches where he would take – I mean, how, there's a couple of these where he took zero, but one or two a game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it's just – if you kind of think about it, it's, he, he's a little too one dimensional in his game right now. And a lot of players, once you get out there, the balls rolled out, they kind of go to what they're comfortable with. And for him, it's the mid range. Um, I think he last year was, it was, was pretty bad um, about 26, 27%. He's like a career 33%, which that's kind of middle of the pack at the college level. His first stat, four
1: games were really bad. And I think shot his confidence a little to add to that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, for him, um, the, the, the biggest stat that sticks out for me with him is that he's averaged um, a, a, just a hair over one assist a game in his career. Um, this is a guy that has the ball in his hands a lot. He has got to be able to get downhill and create for others. It'll make a lot of things open up for this offense um, and even help him out. You know, if you beat somebody off the dribble – and you see how this Kerman offense works. There's times that their ball movement's really good. You can make the good extra pass, and you know, two or three passes later, it's back to you for an open shot because of how well they move the ball at times. So he's really uh, – I think that's something that if he improves on that, it'll help him both individually and for the team as well.
1: You mentioned the creation aspect of it, and this is kind of the last, I guess, joiner centric piece where we'll kind of get to Morel and then transition it into what they have this year and how they're going to play – You mentioned the creation aspect of it and then the the inability to get downhill. I think that speaks to a couple of things. Just from a sheer raw statistics standpoint, I think Ole Miss was either the second or third worst team in assists. Their assist to turnover ratio was okay. I still think it was bottom fourth of the league, if I'm not mistaken. I had it up earlier, but I forgot to write it down. The inability, like you mentioned, to get downhill and create from others, didn't that kind of personify itself towards the end of games, because the sweeping generalization, and it's not necessarily inaccurate, even though it's a generalization about this team last year, was when it got down to the last two minutes or 90 seconds of a game, where you're kind of in a half-court game, You know, the other team knows what you're doing and where you're going, and you absolutely had to have a basket and you can't have an empty trip, Ole Miss was really bad in those situations. And it seemed like at the beginning of the year, it was like, well, they don't quite know what they want to do. They didn't want to quite – commit to playing through Romello and then it seemed like they tried to commit to it when they were winning a few more games but they didn't necessarily know how but the lack of create inability to create for others had to play in for the fact play into the fact that they struggled in those crucial possessions where like I mentioned it's five on five they kind of know what you're doing you know where they're going but you need a basket anyway that lack of creation really seemed to manifest itself in the most crucial possessions of the game
0: yeah and I think on that piece and even the year before that it it was brilliant right like right. when the when the game was on the line, kind of everybody knew where that was going um, and for last year, it was probably a a combination of Schuler and Romello. It kind of felt more Schuler heavy on that end um, but you're right, you know if, if if the if there's two minutes left in the game from a scout standpoint, you're sitting on the opposing uh, bench, you kind of know what's going to happen there. So having more weapons and some of those weapons being able to create, I'm, I'm with you. I think, I think it'll be able to uh, open things up, but also you saw a lot last year, they got real deep in the shot clock on possessions and then kind of had to make something happen um, that maybe they didn't want to. If you, if you create early and often, that'll help you not have to get as deep into the shot clock and then give you something that you don't want during that possession.
1: What do you think Matthew Morell's year one to year two leap is like last year? Cause honest to God, and I didn't have a chance to kind of go back and watch any, whether it's a highlight or just a couple of like spot games last year, it's so far like distant in my mind at this point. I honestly don't even have a great gauge to evaluate how he played last year. Just give me your evaluation of him as a freshman and what needs to change going into his sophomore year.
0: Yeah, for him, I mean, obviously he's a huge piece for this team this year. Um, A lot of people would say that maybe you could look at what he does this year and almost determine the fate of this team off of that. Um, If somebody came down and told you what his stats looked like for this year, I think for him, um, a lot of it kind of seemed like a mental thing. Um, We know that he was a really good player out of high school. He had a lot of good programs that recruited him, Um, but he never really got into that rhythm. And I think for him, he's another one that I'd really love to see beat people off the dribble a little bit more, but confidence in that three point shot, because we we know that he has the ability to make it, um, I, I think would be huge. So you'll talk to a lot of coaches, a, a, a lot of coaches that you talk to, the AKs of the world, the Kerms of the world, they'll tell you that biggest jump comes from freshman to sophomore year. And for Morrell, if, if he can have a big jump from freshman to sophomore year, it's going to do really uh, big things for this team.
1: The best version of him as a college player in your mind, based on kind of what you saw from him coming out of high school is what? Like what is the kind of his peak performance as a, as a
0: prospect? Um, like from a comparison standpoint or just what he can be this year.
1: So if he if, Matt, if he takes that jump, what does that look like? But whether it's offensive or yeah. he's
0: a decent defender,
1: Like what, is, yeah. what does he look like as an offensive player?
0: Well, good question. So, like, on the defensive end, I think when it's all said and done, he has the chance to be a really good SEC defender um, when it's all said and done. was something that he did a pretty good job of in high school. I think this year if he took a jump and had confidence in that three-point shot, um, and I, I do think they may play a little bit faster this year as well, which could play into this too. He could be a 10 or 11 guy, uh, 10 or 11 a game guy, and maybe a 33 to 35% uh, three-point shooter. But, you know, it, it, it's so hard to tell. But he's a guy that has – his ceiling is fairly high. Um, so it's, hey, how big is this jump from freshman to sophomore year to be – and I think, I think he is going to make the jump.
1: Yeah, because he's a talented kid. I mean, his commitment to Ole Miss kind of really raised eyebrows, but really was like, holy shit, like the the whole deal from A.K. to Kermit was like, can Kermit get that level of player more consistently? And he was a large piece of evidence to speak towards that. Um, That's a great transition when you talk about making the jump and how they're going to play this year. So just kind of going through it, no uh, K.J. Buffin gone, Ramella White gone. You add a couple guys, you add Nasir Brooks. Um, you bring in Jamie and Brakefield from Duke. Just as a whole macro view of this roster, if you had to just take a best guess, again, early September, we haven't seen anything yet. How do you think they'll play this year? Because as much as they struggled last year on the perimeter, this seems like a team that may be absolutely kind of driven by its guards as opposed to anything around the block or really in the front court in general, because Brakefield's a guy that's really kind of a combo guard forward type thing, even though he's like 6'8", or whatever he is. How do you think they'll play?
0: Yeah, good question. So, I think, you know, with this group this year, I think they're going to be – this will be the most balanced you'll see this team um, offensively. I think they are going to play faster at times. The only issue with that, and I know everybody always says, hey, if you're not scoring enough points, just play faster. The issue you run into a little bit there is, okay, when you look at these other top seven or eight teams in the SEC, are they more athletic than you? Because then what happens there is, are you getting yourself into a track meet with better athletes, you know, or athletes that are marginally better. So, um, I do think they're going to play a little bit faster. But I think one thing that could really play to this team's advantage, because of how good, how bright of a mind Kermit is, is do they have the ability to play fast and also play in the half court um, efficiently? Right? You can't just go forty minutes of hell. Arkansas transition back up and forth. Can they? Can they have a balance to it? When you play some of these cupcakes in November and December. I think Ole Miss's margin of victory is going to be a lot higher than it has been in the past couple of years because they're going to track meet people. Can you scale it down a little bit when you get to SEC play? And some of these teams, you're going to be able to do it heavy, but with some of these teams as well, you're going to need to slow down, run a set, and be really good and efficient in the half court. So I think that's where the real balance and challenge comes uh, for the team, the team this year.
1: Front court wise, and this is probably as good as a time to to get into the whole Breakfield aspect aspect of yeah. it. Bring him in from Duke. I don't really know how to evaluate anything that Breakfield did or didn't do at Duke. Right, he had the game very early on in the year. I thought he had like eleven and four against Michigan State. And I watched actually a couple pieces of that game, I think last night or sometime yesterday. And Duke was at times playing, at least appeared to be to the untrained eye, a lot of five-out stuff. And he was certainly on the perimeter. And Flash is a decent shooter. The thing that stuck out to me, and again, this is one game, and I watched like the piece of the other, because there wasn't just a huge sample size from Breakfield to Duke, was he seems like a capable shooter to where you have to extend out enough to at least defend him as a threat. You know, he's a smooth athlete. But the thing that stuck out to me in the very short clips I watched was like, when he drives, he has a very good knack for drawing contact. And Ole Miss was not a team that went to the line a lot last year. And I think that's a guy that could probably uptick their free throw, The I guess the frequency when he gets to their free throw line. He seems like a huge key in all of this because yeah. I imagine if he starts, he's at the four. I don't really no. know what the five looks like. How do you think they'll use Breakfield this year?
0: So I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I think he's got a little trend in Watford to his game.
1: I kind of like that. I don't hate that comparison at all. Cause I actually yeah. watched a, uh, or read at some sort of scout on him coming out of high school. It was some sort of, it was like a hoops, hoops, high, one of those hoops blocks from two, three years ago when he came out of high school or was about to, and he had a Travis outlaw comparison. Do you love or hate that? I don't feel like there's too much dissimilarity there.
0: Yeah, I could see that as well. I think, I think for Breakfield. Kind of like you said, it's almost um, – he's kind of got a little bit of an old man game to him a little bit. Right. He's able to he's, – he's good and capable at a lot of things, but there's not one thing that he's just phenomenal at, except for probably, you know, getting to the free throw line. I'm with you. Hard to tell a lot um, from last year at Duke. There's been – dating back to him in high school, he's always been challenged to – uh, be a better defender, and I think he, he's improved in that over time. Kermit's a really good person to help him out with that there. Um, but one thing that I'm really interested to see watching his film, I think there's some opportunities for him to bring the ball up to four in a point-forward role. Um, there's going to be times where they're going to want to get a Jarkel. Um, they're going to want to get a Ruff and a Morell they are going to want to get two of those three on the wings. And I just wonder if he could play kind of that point guard, point forward role uh, for this team as well. I think that would be something to look out for because of his style of play. So I'm interested to see, could he in some situations do that? And uh, another back to the Watford thing, Watford did that at times last year. And he'd go, he'd drive, it was slow, but he'd get in the paint, he'd get fouled, and LSU was really affected at, at it last year.
1: Don't ask me why I remember this, but the, when you just said the last part of that, the Texas Tech game stood out. Um, may or may not have had some action on either side of that. It's probably why it stuck out. But there were a couple of possessions late in that game before Mac McClung just absolutely bad beated the shit out of whoever may have had or may not have had LSU. He was you the point forward thing you're talking about was absolutely true with Watford. If I'm not mistaken, I might have the wrong game there. That actually kind of like blew my mind for a second. I hadn't thought about it in from that sense, but. You know, you watch whatever sample size he did have at Duke. He was absolutely a good enough athlete with good enough handles to bring the ball up the court. Like, there were a couple of times where Duke got a couple steals, particularly in that Michigan State game, and there was one other in there where, you know, it was kind of the classic transition where they didn't have firm control of the ball yet, and he ended up with it. And it wasn't like he had to pitch it to someone else. He brought the ball up the floor, and there was nothing wrong with it, and they got a basket out of it a couple times. Two of the times he went to the line. So I think that's really interesting that you kind of bring that up. With that point, like that being true, point forward, whatever you want to call it, he's a four. What is Omis doing at the five spot? Because like if it is Nacir Brooks, he's a seven foot guy that's kind of a shot blocker. How does that mesh with the playing fast, playing um, playing fast being a little more athletic thing? Because that doesn't necessarily seem conducive to that. How do you think they handle the other piece of the front court? Should break yeah. kind of be what you think he is.
0: Yeah, good question. I think it is, Nas Brooks. Um, You know, I think he'll be able to run the floor some. He is seven feet, but he's real conditioned, um, good-looking body. And like you said, he takes a lot of pride in being a really good defender, rebounds pretty well, too. Um, Well, one thing, you know, nobody talks about him offensively, and by no means do I think he's going to be, you know, elite. But back to the basket, if you watch – when he has undersized bigs on him, um, so maybe we'll call it somebody like a Robert Allen. I mean, he's pretty effective in that scenario, and it, it only makes sense, right? He's a damn near half a foot taller than somebody like that. But he it, this is not Dom offensively, right? I was going to go he, there too. He's not a zero
1: uh, offensively.
0: Right, right. He When he has somebody um, you know, smaller than him back to the basket and with how positionless the game is these days n- – You know, that's not just a, hey, the cupcakes only have six, seven guys starting at five. You'll have guys in SEC play, depending on their lineups, that may be um, a little undersized that play five. Now you have a different issue on the defensive end because he may have to stretch out and guard somebody on the perimeter. But he's somebody that I think is a little bit more capable back to the basket um, than people are giving him credit for.
1: We made it about 35 minutes without getting into old Mrs. highest coveted recruit in this class, really, by a long <laughs> shot, and that's Ruffin. And yeah. you texted me when we were talking about doing this podcast, you know, as a check-in during the bye week of, like, you know, I've heard some good stuff about Ruffin so far, to put it mildly, and he's an interesting prospect. I mean, he's a little guy's dream. For those the uh, – you know, I mentioned <laughs> the most famous assist ever uh, uh, thrown – make it into that towards the end because we do have a little bit of a new podcast audience but he's kind of a little guy's like spark plug like that's the inspiration five nine incredibly quick off the dribble pretty good at creating his own shot off the dribble that's a guy when you kind of look at old mrs backcourt yes you hope you get a jump from Morrell. you hope joiner kind of continues what he did as you mentioned the last seven eight games of the year Ruffin, I guess what I'm trying to get at to start off, Ruffin cannot be a complete non-factor. Like, he's going to have to have some sort of scoring role in this team, is he not? There just seems to be no way around it.
0: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And I I thought that, in my mind, it's an interesting thing to play because you can't put too much on him as a freshman um, from an offensive standpoint. Um, But also, he's going to have to be able to do some of these things. And you lose a Shuler that was able to create last year, okay, here's a guy that can come in, and I think he can create as well. Um, I think he's got a little Jared Harper to his game um, from Auburn. And, you know, with Ruffin, there's still the ability to get better from a three-point percentage. He can get a little bit better finishing around the rim, but uh, he's got the capability to be a double-digit scorer this year. The thing a little nervous about, um, A, uh, I think Kermit said it on a press conference, you know, a couple of weeks back. He's missed a couple of weeks with conditioning, and this close to the year, expecting you know fifteen or twenty game one out of this guy, they may ease him into it a little bit in non-conference. That may be something smart to do. Um, and the other piece of it, he works his ass off defensively, has pretty good hands, and is uh, decently—he's pretty decent on ball. It scares me if he has a bigger body on him defensively because, you know, you say he's 5'9". He may be smaller than that and may weigh 150 to 155 pounds, right? And so when you go and play in conference play and Eric Musselman's got 73,000 transfers on this team and they're 6'5", you know, 200 pounds, them going against Ruffin, is it a – are we swapping buckets because he's going to get one and then he's getting bullied as well on the defensive end. That's the one thing that scares me with him. But he's electrifying. His handles are unreal. Um, And so I think that, you know, when you're a fan, the number one thing you want is to win. But the number two thing you want is for the product to look exciting. And I think he's going to give the fan base a wrinkle this year that they haven't had uh, last year.
1: Oh, absolutely, on that regard. On the defensive aspect, I do – so, like the thing I present to you is on, like I guess it's not even really a counter, but it is easier to mask a defensive mismatch in the college game at times than it is, say, an NBA game, right? Because you can really kind of just from the sheer the way the games played and whether it's spacing or raw athleticism or whatever the case may be, like, I, Kermit's one three one comes to mind. Not that they're just yeah. going to religiously be able to do that and hide him all the time it will be a little bit easier to hide him in that system than maybe a few like others. If he were elsewhere. 100% nail
0: on the head and point in case 2015, 2016 Stefan Moody, right. We would put him in there to hide him at times, super good athlete. Right. But we would have to hide him there. Um, And, and, so, Ruffin, I think that's a really good point is that they can run that. The issue is you can't you can't do it all the time, right? Right. So, um, no, I'm with you. And a, a guy like um, a Jarkel Joiner, I don't think he's going to have super problems with that. But it's more, you know, these, these really big guards um, – and you you can work a lot of ways around that with your man and your matchups. Go find him the smallest guard out of that group. But it could be something that uh, could be a problem defensively, you know, this year for him.
1: His quickness, You talk, one of the things we talked about at the, when we were looking back at last year's team was their inability to get downhill and beat guys off the dribble. It really just made them stagnant offensively. And from a viewer's perspective, you want to talk about like a product that is incredibly difficult to watch at times when you have guards that can't really do anything and are just like, I think the phrase you used was "play horizontally. It makes for an incredibly ugly watch. And I think that was probably the main source of like you leave games last year being like, Holy shit, they won that. But I'm not even sure I enjoyed a minute of that. He will solve that if he's on the floor you know, kind of from the get-go. Like, I don't think there's really any sort of questioning his ability to get by SEC defenders, even at his size. And you mentioned he can get better finishing at the rim, but one of the things that stuck out, and granted, I'm looking through questionable sources in terms of YouTube highlight tapes. He can certainly get a little more polished finishing at the rim, but one of the things that stuck out to me was he's a lot more – like, he's very creative in the different ways he can kind of get separation and create shots around the rim and at least get something off that doesn't look like a complete circus shot. I was very impressed with that. The other aspect of that to actually kind of throw a question at you is, what are the weaknesses if there is one, like the common one, no matter what sort of scouting report you read on him coming out of school, was creating or distributing for others? But as quick as he is in his ability to get downhill, don't you think some of that will come a little bit more naturally, just having better pieces around him?
0: Yeah, I think he's got pretty decent vision. Um, I think that's something that could be an area of strength of his by the time that he finishes, um, you know, his career here. And so I would almost, I disagree with that um, a little bit. Uh, an example for you of how big it could be for this team if he's able to create, and, I, I'm, you know, he's not at this level um, yet. But look at what Sharif Cooper did last year for Auburn before and present when he was able to play for them, how he opened up that um, offense, and he was really able to do the same things, right, beat people off the dribble, super good handles, quick. But he was able to make a lot of things happen for that offense. Um, Ruffin, for his game, a little bit more like Jared Harper style, but if he can buy into creating for other people – um it will he's got he's got the ability to it right it's not a hey can he create and distribute for other people it's more of a mentality thing and his vision um and some of that comes with just watching film as well
1: everyone loves to do the whole starting five thing and it's almost like halfway tongue-in-cheek doing it in september but it honestly in some ways correct me if i'm wrong but i'm just kind of going down the list here we'll get to a couple more things for i want to get to some macro kermit thoughts before we get out of here but is it not like, look on paper today, if you made me just write it down, I mean, it's Ruffin, Joyner, Morell, Breakfield, and Brooks. What would your five be, I guess, if you just had to roll out a basketball and play someone in a game that counted in September?
0: Yeah, I would think that um, January, February, that would probably be my guess. I just, there, I, I don't know. So knowing how, important missing you know three to five weeks of conditioning can be for a freshman that's never played yet I would guess Joyner Morrell uh Luis Rodriguez Brakefield, and then Brooks that would be my guess on how they started I, I think they would be smart to kind of ease and transition roughing in uh to that lineup before giving him have heavy minutes as he tries to get healthy and acclimated
1: I'm glad you pointed that out because, honestly, the Rodriguez piece of it was just an oversight when I was trying to go off the top of my head there. I didn't think about it from that perspective. So that's probably the good kind of last thing to get at in terms of just, like, us talking about different guys in the roster. Austin Crowley did not have a good year last year. Luis Rodriguez, you know, we had – I don't know, I guess you could describe it as a strange year to some degree. I thought he was fine for the most part. For those two guys, they seem to be important pieces because, one, they're experienced players, and, two, I think Ole Miss is going to need them to be rotation pieces at minimum. Just your kind of general take on those two and their role with this team this year, because I think Luis could bring something very valuable defensively. I still don't necessarily know what he would be offensively, and then I, Crowley – I don't know. I don't know. I'll just leave it to you. What do you think those two guys need to be for this team to be successful this year?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So with Luis, I mean, he did a great job of rebounding last year Um, from being on a wing spot, averaging six or seven rebounds a game. It's not easy. Um, You know, for him, I think that taking a step offensively would be huge for this team. Being able to have an identity as a finisher, um, both in the half court and transition would be huge um, another guy in there that I think will get some minutes is, is Ty Fagan, um, the Georgia transfer. I think with Ty Fagan, um, my comp for him, kind of similar attributes as Luis Rodriguez, defends and rebounds. Pretty poor shooter, but um, can, can score in transition and get some dirty buckets. My, my comp for him is like a less bulky Martavius newbie who is more efficient offensively. Um, He's not really a guy that has any threat from the perimeter. Um, But, you know, I think he's going to get some heavy minutes. Austin uh, Crowley, it's a tough deal. I just don't know with him. I don't know what his identity is, right? And that's a really tough piece. His identity could be, um, you know, if he got to this level, he could be a guy that could be a backup point guard um, if he he wanted to. He could, you know, play on the wing. But he – you know he hasn't. He's shown flashes at times, but I just really don't know what his identity is. And and kind of the same same tune um, from Sammy Hunter as well. Yeah, Crowley. I I guess that's
1: kind of why I balked in trying to give you anything to like work off of, of like what I think Crowley could be because I don't necessarily know what his identity is either. But Ole Miss will certainly need him as as a depth piece at minimum. So just say Ruffin is kind of eased along because I, I do think you're right. It's probably tough to. To kind of bring a guy immediately in, and then I didn't even know the strength and conditioning aspect of it. Who's bringing the ball up the court in November?
0: Um, I would say Jarkell is bringing the ball up the floor um, in November. The only piece that's interesting if you look at Kermit's roster. So, AK's last year, you have Brian playing point guard, and year two or the next year, Brian's playing shooting guard, and um, obviously he was able to score really, really well from that position going back to kind of the offense that he runs it's always been my opinion that he kind of has he, it flows better through the wings to score than at the top uh, of the key with this point guard he doesn't run a whole lot of flat ball screens like you saw you know for the moody's and chris warren's back in the day it's more of this continuation so i think you'll see a few different people probably four different guys bring the ball up the floor at times, but he runs his offense through wings more than he does um, through his point guard as well. So a lot of that is, is super interchangeable um, for his, you know, ones and twos.
1: We mentioned, we talked about a decent bit there a second ago about Brooks and Breakfield. I was blanking there for a minute. Um, In terms of just like depth, In the front court because Ole Miss has had multiple teams in the last couple of years, but they just haven't had a lot of it behind him. And whether it was the year where Kermit probably would have committed a murder to have some sort of combination of Dom and Bruce, like, you know, one end and the other end, instead of just having a frustrating rotate them back and forth. Behind them, you bring in – obviously, Sammy Hunter has been around a couple of years now. You've got Robert Allen that you added last year. Is there anyone kind of in that mix that you would hope slash expect to make some sort of jump that can give you, you know, 10 to 15 minutes off the bench a game, whether a guy, or how foul trouble, whatever the case it may be, get the guys a blow. That's going to be an important piece. And I'm not sure this team has a proven commodity with it yet. Where do you think that goes in terms of just your seventh or eighth guy? One of them's got to be a front court guy. What seems to be a somewhat guard centric team.
0: Yeah, great, great point there. Um, the, the first piece of it is, hey, what is Sammy Hunter? And, you know, I think he'll play some backup five this year. But I think this group is going to see a significant increase in minutes um, from Robert Allen. And, you know, with him, he's a really tough kid um, that they like a lot. And although he's undersized for it, I think he could play five at times. I think, he'll, you know, he played a lot of four last year. Um, But with this group, I think he'll play five at a lot of times. And I think that staff um, is fairly confident in him as well. So I think you're going to see a lot of minutes out of uh, Robert Allen this year. They've got a a freshman, Eric Vanderheiden. Uh, Hopefully I pronounced that right. Um, I actually think that, you know, I don't think he's your 15-minute-a-game guy like you're talking about, kind of a stretch shooter, originally committed to Louisville. Um, He's got the build to where he can really add on some weight. I think he'll play some minutes this year. I think he's going to have a role. I don't know how big it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be 15 minutes a game, Um, but he's going to be, I think he's got a chance to be a pretty good um, college player. And so I think you'll see some stuff from him as well, because he'll give you a dimension to the offense, having a stretch guy at that four spot that they don't have in other lineups as well. But he's got a chance to be – he's got a chance to be a good college player. I I don't think it'll be – you know, you're not going to see a huge spark out of him this year. But, um, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see him at, you know, eight to ten minutes a game.
1: One more thing on Sammy Hunter was – there's a couple of times where it was last year where he kind of got in for a couple minutes and – He looked overwhelmed, but there was, I mean, if you talk to anyone around the program, it was like, despite how it looks sometimes they were very, very confident in his skill set and his ability, despite it not necessarily working at the moment and him necessarily being ready at the moment. Am I accurate in saying that that's a guy from the time he's gotten on campus, they were very, very high on his, I guess, potential for the lack of a better phrase. And what do you think he needs to do to see that through?
0: Well, they, they were, you know, they, he was somebody that they were super high on. Um, I think for him, it's what can you specialize in? Like, what can you be really, really good? You don't have to be good at everything. You can be okay at everything, but can you rebound for us? Or can you be a back-to-the-basket threat? Like, what, what are one or two things that you can do and specialize in that you're really, really good at? to get you to the point where we put you on the floor 15, 20 minutes a game. And going back to the identity piece with him, I just don't know what that is right now. <laughs> Last year, you know, I, you'd be watching the game, and he's shooting threes, right? And every now and then he actually made a few of them. But I'm like, I, I cannot figure out uh, Sammy Hunter. Where did dude call him end up? Do you have any idea? I have no. Uh, well, okay, did he end up with Bakersfield under Rod Barnes?
1: That actually great call. Cause I can't even find that on Google, but I, for whatever reason, I think you're exactly right. Um, that was a gig. was an interesting case. That was uh, that's probably an interesting thing to get into where Kermit. So this probably leads us into the macro thing. I want to ask you about Kermit. So he makes the tournament his first year, right? I mean, Blake Henson has that game against Mississippi state and you kind of write all the stuff for like, look what he has in these two pieces. K.J. Buffin and Blake Henson, and neither one of them panned out. And then I think you could throw dude calm a little bit in this mix to a lesser degree. The way all three of their careers kind of transpired is there one that sticks out as the most surprising. Look, college basketball is what it is these days. A guy staying four years or three years at a program and being impactful for multiple years is a lot more rare than it was even seven, eight years ago. Just from what Kermit had in terms of his youth, on the roster from that first team, out of those three guys, is there one that surprised you the most that didn't pan out? All
0: right, so I heard dude column. Who were the other two? Uh, Henson, uh, Henson and Buffin. Well, um, you know, I think we, we recruited Blake Henson on our staff and were really, really high on him. Um, I think for him, like, he was a pretty skilled guy. It was like straight-up shot selection, right? And right. so, for him, like, I guess that would be the biggest surprise because we saw him go and do Mississippi State his freshman year. I mean, he actually went – it was crazy the way that he played. So, I think for him, that was the one um, that was a little surprising. But, like, with how inefficient he, he was, his stats weren't terrible at Ole Miss in his two years. It was the inefficiency that was terrible. So, Um, You know, I thought he was going to be a pretty good player. I always knew that KJ's ceiling wasn't super high um, because he's a little undersized and and can't shoot. I think going to the conference USA is going to be perfect for him. Um, The issue that he's going to have to run into, and I think AK's got a big issue with this this year, is I don't know if there's enough ball to go around to keep that team happy. So that'll be, you know, something that they have to face. But I I would go with Henson because – KJ's floor or his ceiling, I never saw um, as super high, but I think he could end up being a good conference USA player.
1: How is AK doing over there in Birmingham? I know you went and saw him a time or two last year. I'm I'm sure he's just kind of loving. They have a new building coming up, or i I just make that up? What's up? What's what's AK been up to the last few months?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think they have a new practice facility that they're That's building, um, which is which is really good. You know, I think if I'm sitting in AK's shoes right now, I'm hoping that. My ass gets to the AAC. I mean, that I'd be thinking about that on a daily basis right now. Um, because he he's in a one-bid league, and a lot of people are super high on his team right now. Um, but the tough piece is it's one bid, one bid league. You go play bad for a week in a conference tournament. There's a kid down at La Tech, their big man, that I think is a first could potentially be a first team All-American. And that in those kinds of leagues, one guy can beat you. Um so You know, for him, he's got a really, really talented team. They've got some depth, too. They've got like three – they have three former SEC starters on their team. But it's going to be, hey, can we keep this locker room together? Um, And then long-term for him, hey, if we can go get to the AAC, now we're talking we're in a three- or four-bid league with um, a little bit more conference money as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's super excited about Hoops getting started here in a couple weeks. Do you think
1: he's pumped that the building
0: he plays in has a roof with no leaks? Yeah, I I would think so. But then here's the issue with that. He doesn't have that to make fun of anymore, right? Like, that was his go-to with the media. Like, I mean, it was always something. And he'd hit you with a joke, one of those jokes, when, like, he was being most serious. Like, like, I can just imagine the the Brant story that I hear all the time, literally walking him, like, 50 feet out to the center (laughs) court. like he was probably talking to him about some serious shit and then was like (laughs) look at this and Brant's like locked into it and then he hits him with that right so he loved uh anytime somebody coughed inside you know the tad pad and our athletic trainers were losing it because they didn't know you know if somebody was sick he was he always um made sure to blame it on the asbestos in the in the arena so
1: AK story you're referencing, I'm sure a lot of people know, but it's, he calls David Brent kind of out to the middle of the floor, because I think they used to get to, this was before I was even ever around covering basketball, but he, he called him out the middle of the floor, but after a shooter. I was like, you see that blue speck up in the roof, he's like, that's, that's the sky. <laughs> Which is just classic AK because it was deadpan, and there may or might not have been an F bomb to precede it as you know, a, a additive to get his point across. The last couple, the last thing I'll get to before we get out of here, I, you could probably go for AK stories for hours. But Kermit is now in year four. Year, you know, I think he surprised pretty much everyone that first year. Right, they predicted to finish last in the conference. He really finds something with Schuler. And really, it was actually Tyree and Terrence Davis having an NBA diet doesn't help. But point being, like backcourt pretty good, kind of pieces it together in the front court, and they're good enough. You know, last year, I feel like is viewed differently. Honestly, if they don't kind of squander the second half against not squander, but just kind of pull through against LSU, because if you win that game, the entire season's viewed in a different lens because you're probably in the NCAA tournament. Just in the mindset, and I know head coaches aren't, like, necessarily thinking about it every day of I have to make this or else and all that shit, and I'm not suggesting it. What do you think his mindset is coming into this year? Do you think he feels any sort of pressure – I guess job security would be the best way to go about it, but what do you think, I guess, is pressuring him the most this year? Putting on a better product or actually making the dance?
0: Well, you know, I think for a lot of these coaches, just philosophically, the – pressure that a lot of them have and it's what makes them so successful is their greatest pressure is probably internal pressure um, and you know really it, they they probably expect a lot out of themselves as well um, for him you know I, I don't know we, we, we always joke about it the April of 2017 or whatever it is you hit me with the text that uh, after the contract didn't get extended that you know the athletic you heard from the athletic department the goal is to make the tournament every other year and I knew right then and there that um you know we were we were done. But you might uh, be
1: underselling it. I believe that the neighborhood was actually over a ten year period in the sixties percent if I'm not mistaken.
0: <laughs> <Goodness gracious. laughs> yeah. But for Dude, you know what for, you want,
1: but yes. Yeah, you
0: yeah, no comment. Um <laughs> You know, for, for that though, I mean, it, it's really hard to, you know, it's hard to judge. And I don't get into it a whole lot. I think he I think he's a hell of a coach, five or six time conference coach of the year. And a lot of people, what happens is year one, he goes to the tournament, everybody's on board. Well, now year three, people kind of like, okay, he hasn't made it. We're gonna call all of we're gonna give all of his success in year one to AK and you won't meet many bigger AK fans both personally and professionally than I am, but that was a team that had two or three dudes and that was it. That team had no depth. you know, it wasn't a great team at all. So what he did with that team I thought was phenomenal. Um, I've always said in the modern era of Ole Miss basketball is one of the best coaching performances that I've seen um, out of a coach, um, you know, dating back 20, 25 years or so. So You know, for him, when you talk about pressure, um, you know, I think that that pressure is more internal because I I can't – I'm not as close to it now and obviously living in Nashville, but I don't know what the fans kind of glimpse on what happens if this year isn't a success is um, when that was a little bit more defined under AK because it took six or seven years to get to the first one.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And then even after that, like, he gets to the second one and they go a few years without it. And it's not only necessarily going the few years without it. It's the fact that he's – people love new, right, in this microwave society. And, like, it doesn't necessarily matter if news even better. They just want something different. And so, AK being, you know, the dean of SEC hoops, you know, 14 years in and then having, like, a whatever it was, four-year job in the NCAA tournament, I don't think worked in his favor either. Not that that's fair at all. It's just kind of the way things work these days but yeah I I just I'm interested to I'm interested to see this how this year shapes how Kermit is viewed at the SEC level from a macro sense whether it's fair or unfair at all just because if you do miss the tournament this year you know you got the bid the first year and you mentioned people trying to credit it to you know AK and like I don't think that's fair at all even though AK probably had a lot more talent than maybe he was giving credit for there at the end but Point being i just i just wonder how like he's viewed if this year doesn't go very well very well is the other side of that is if it does go well well hell you've made the ncaa tournament two times in four years at old miss that's uh if you want to get into the percentages again that's 50% right. of the time right like so right. that's pretty good i think it's an important year for that sense but we got more time to talk about that obviously i uh it is September, but I'm looking forward to talking hoops throughout the year, dude. I, uh, I appreciate the time and uh, we will, I'm sure we'll check in soon. We'll have a couple of preseason deals and then we will uh, kind of get into the swing of things as basketball season gets going. What, uh, uh, got anything to plug, I guess. No, I got anything to plug. Everyone has a podcast these days.
0: No, no podcast of mine. I'm staying, staying low key on everything as much as I can. So, uh, nothing to plug on my end, but, um, yeah, look, look, seven weeks away. I know we're in football season. I was at the game in Tulane, um, on Saturday through the monsoon. Um, but still got a lot of college football that we're all infatuated in myself included, but seven more weeks and, uh, we'll get the ball rolling.
1: Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, dude. Take it easy and we will uh, talk to you soon.
0: All right. See ya. And that was
1: Bracken Ray. Appreciate his time. As always, I think I'm looking forward to talking hoops within the season. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations and these podcasts. We'll check back in with him as basketball season gets a little bit closer. But, again, just kind of wanted to change it up um, after three, four weeks of uh, pretty uh, heavy-hitting football on the podcast, and we'll be back to a football-centric show on Friday. Maybe even bring mail back Friday uh, since we got the
0: open week. So be on the lookout for that. Y'all have a great uh, rest of your week.